Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Today, I want to talk about a subject that I think is uh, rather important, something that you, you know, most likely have heard in church at some point, but it's the idea of holiness. Say holiness. What does it mean to be holy? I love what 1 Peter 1.16 says. It says, be holy, for I am holy. How many have ever heard that verse and went, oh man, I got some work to do? Only me? I'll raise both hands. You hear verses like this, and it's, it's, it's tough to hear because you're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm holy. But here's the deal. What does it mean to be holy? Maybe we don't quite have a full understanding of what that means. And I'm hoping this morning that this will help you uh, to see things in more of a positive light. See yourself as someone that God sees worthy, holy, pleasing, and acceptable. Uh, you know, I remember for me when I had children, it changed my whole view of God. I'm telling you, being a father for the first time, I've shared this story, I believe, before, but, you know, there's certain things in life that stick with you. You ever notice that? Certain moments that are so emotional, there's so much there that it really sticks with you. And I remember being in the room when my children were born and just the the tears of joy, just realizing, oh my gosh, we created this. This is amazing. It's just a love. I remember then my second child came along. I'm like, I don't know if I can feel that same amount of love, but I did somehow. It just pours out of you. And, you know, as I thought about that, it was like Holy Spirit reminded me of something, that those moments, the love, the sheer love and concern and, uh, you know, admiration and adoration that I had for that child at that moment, that child didn't do anything. Nothing to earn that. It was just an automatic response to them existing. And I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, that's how you feel about us, Heavenly Father. Sometimes we're like, well, why would God love me? Because I'm a sum total of my actions. God loves you because you exist. You're his child. It's amazing. So when I was a teenager, um, I was was in a band, started out with some church friends, and we were like, man, we're going to rock for Jesus. This is going to be awesome. And then we just continued to grow, and, and we started to play. And, and we really felt this calling where we just played the, the local clubs and the bars and really felt like our calling was to not preach at people necessarily, but maybe have some good positive lyrics that lifted them up in love and things like that. But we felt like our calling in that was to minister to people behind the scenes, other band members, club owners, uh, you know, booking agents, people of that, uh, you know, industry. And so it was just great. We had so many opportunities where this is what I found. If you're just kind to people, the kindness of the Lord, Scripture says, draws people to repentance. That word repentance, metanoia, means to change your mind. And so there's something about being kind. That's, that's why you won't see me ever on, on the corners of, of Fenton with a bullhorn, you know, yelling at people that they're dirty and going to hell. I, I just, I, I don't think that's working as well as we think it does. And I often say this, that, you know, how you're born is how you live. So if you're born out of fear, if you're feared into the kingdom of God, unfortunately, you live a lifetime, unless you get the revelation of his love, of fear. It's always trying to perform and try to be better. But really, God has called us through his kindness and love 
to really step up to the identity he's already given us. You know, we say this often, but the work of Jesus was the finished work, right? What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. So it's a finished work that we agree with by faith and say, yes, that's true about me, whether I see it or not. We talked about this last week when we talked about confession. Confession is not saying something 77 and a half times and getting God to move. Confession is just agreeing with God and saying what God says about you, even if you don't see it. Amen? And so we had this great opportunity, and I loved it because, you know, there would be moments where, you know, people would see that our lifestyle was different. We weren't pushing anyone. We weren't looking down our nose or being condescending. We just lived our life. We were a light. We, we loved people. We were, you know, did the best we could to reflect the love of God in people's, uh, from our lives into people's lives. And there would be these great moments where it would just confirm me we were doing the right thing when I'd have band members or someone behind the scene who'd say, hey, man, I, I know that you, you know, follow Jesus and you know how to talk to God, and, and I'm going through this issue with my relationship or with my parent or someone's, you know, struggling in their life. Will you pray with me? Because I just don't know how to talk to God. I'd be so humble in those moments. I'd be like, wow, this is why I'm here, you know? You ever had those moments where you're like, wow, through the hustle and bustle of life, you're like, okay, this is why I'm here. And so that was really our calling. And I remember at one point I was talking to a local youth pastor. We had bumped into each other, and he goes, hey, man, you guys got a band, right? I said, yeah, yeah, we have a band. And he says, man, I, I'd really love for you to uh, play. We have this youth rally coming up. It would be so awesome if you could play this uh, Christian youth event. And in the nicest way I could, I said, you know, man, that's not really what we're called to do. It's not because of you, nothing like that. You know, all glory to Jesus. You know, he's trying to speak the lingo so they understand it. But that's not really our calling. That's not our thing. And you know, I was thinking the response would be like, oh, man, that's kind of a bummer. But, wow, that's so great that you're following what God has called you to do and you're calling. Like, that's awesome. Um, but that wasn't the response. He just launched off into this rant about how if we were true Christians, then we would probably make different choices. And maybe we should be playing in a church functions, not where we're playing and really questioning what we were doing. And I was really disheartened in that moment. I was expecting a completely different response. Now, let me say, I, I love this brother to this day. Uh, I just saw him, you know, in the last couple months. Great guy, great intentions, but really just took the wind on my sails at that point. And I was really astonished at his response. And as politely as I could, I said, well, listen, man, I, I guess we maybe we don't agree on that. I'm not trying to be offensive. But listen, man, we're still brothers and I love you, you know. And he just walked off upset, was upset at me. Probably thought I was about to lose my salvation or something, you know? But sometimes when you go against the grain of religion and religious ideas, sometimes it may not go so well for you. But listen to me. Follow Holy Spirit. Because you have a calling on your life that maybe someone else doesn't. And maybe they don't understand that. But stick with it. Don't be disheartened. Now, when you hear that story, maybe some of you are like, wow, man. I agree with them. That's fine. I love you. We're still brothers and sisters. Maybe some of you are like, man, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of odd. Why would he respond to you like that? But to be completely honest, this has been an argument that Christians have been having for years. The idea that we should only play Christian music or, you know, or watch Christian movies. There's you know, the separation. There's sacred and there's secular. Have you heard this before? And we should have nothing to do with the world. And you know what? I didn't realize it at the time, but... 
later I began to realize that that leader and I were having the same argument that's been going on for at least hundreds of years, if not thousands, and it comes down to the meaning of holiness. What does it mean to be truly holy? The argument that I had with this youth leader, it really sums up, I believe, one of the deepest sources of division in the church. And it has to do, again, with the true meaning of holiness. What is holiness? So again, the message for today is this. What does it mean to be holy? Say that with me. What does it mean to be holy? So what I see is I really see, even just in Scripture, I see two types, two kinds of holiness. There's old covenant holiness, and there's new covenant holiness. There's, we can say it like this, there's Moses holiness, and there's Jesus holiness. Does that make sense? And here's the thing, because many people don't know the difference we just end up arguing about things like music and movies and dancing and playing cards, and the list goes on and on and on. Come on, anyone, anyone have anything to add to that list? There's these things we should avoid that we shouldn't do, and we think, well, that's what holiness is. And here's the thing. Holiness may be one of the most important words in your vocabulary because your definition of holiness, it doesn't just affect the music you listen to, the books you read, the friends that you have. How you define holiness, listen to me, is how you define yourself. How you define holiness is how you define yourself. And so I just want to run through a quick comparison here as we get a little closer to this idea, scriptural idea of holiness. And I want to compare true holiness to man-made holiness. So true holiness is defined by God. Man-made holiness is defined by sin. True holiness means whole, complete, and perfect. Man-made holiness means set apart. Not that set apart isn't part of the meaning, but I think it's only part of the meaning. There's something about this wholeness, and we're going to see that as we continue here. Here's another one. True holiness comes by faith. Man-made holiness comes by works. You catching this? True holiness turns believers into salt and light. You're savory, you're seasoned. When you speak, there's something about it. There's a light in your life that shines. It's called God, and people begin to see that. Man-made holiness turns believers into monks and Pharisees, religious people who look down their nose at you. True holiness... The fruit, you know what it does? It unites and it heals. Isn't that beautiful? Man-made holiness divides and destroys. True holiness views the world as lost and broken. That's why I love that the Apostle Paul uses the language of orphans. In other words, we all belong to God. We're all made in his image. But unfortunately, there's just some who don't know who their family is yet. And guess what? You and I can show them that reflection. Whereas man-made holiness, it views the world as dirty and to be avoided. True holiness, in that, thing, in that, that way of seeing it, you are a holy priesthood and a holy nation. Whereas man-made holiness, get this, you are a sinner trying to be a saint. You ever felt like that? It's like, man, I just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Stop talking like that. God doesn't call you a sinner. He calls you a saint. Come on. 
So what does it mean to be holy? See, under Moses, holiness was something you got by running away from things. You, 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 know, you, you ran from sin and temptation and especially unclean people. But think about this. If we, looked at the, if we look at the life of Jesus, uh, the kind of holiness that Jesus displayed, it ran from nothing. It's, it's a holiness that would shine in dark places, uh, a holiness that would dine with sinners, and it would even include those who are unclean. I think about when Jesus would, would reach out and touch and heal people who were considered unclean, like people with issues of blood. Remember that lady? Or how about the lepers? Do you know this is really wild? Is according to the law, it was illegal, and you could literally be stoned as a leper who was unclean if you did not, as you're walking through certain parts of the city, you weren't welcome in, but when you're walking through, you have to say, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine a life where you had to announce that you were unclean everywhere you went? And if you didn't and were caught, you could be stoned to death? If you were a person who touched someone who was unclean, that was against the law, and you could be stoned to death. And yet Jesus would touch those and make those people who were considered unclean whole. It's interesting to me that Jesus would go against this man-made religious idea and laws. You know, Jesus never broke the law of God. Anyone agree with me on that? But he did break man-made law. Jesus never broke the 10. But he did break the 613 rules and regulations that were added to it. Does that make sense? So Jesus wasn't like, uh, we're doing away with that law, that whole law thing. No, no. He, he wanted us to see that there's a new way we could live life, and that was the one commandment that he gave us, the one command, the one law, and that was love, right? The, the law of love that's been sown into our hearts. Love God and love people. I love what he said. He said, love God and love your neighbor. And then he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to say, guess who else is your neighbor? Your enemy. Thanks, Jesus. You know, in John chapter 7, verse 23 Jesus had just healed a man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees got so upset with him. And it's funny because he said to them, I just love how Jesus would use the law, not really against them, but in a way to get them to think this through. He said, you know what, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, because there was a law that on the eighth day, Every Hebrew male would be circumcised on the eighth day. If he was born eight days before the Sabbath, guess when they would do the circumcision? On the Sabbath. He said, listen, if you can circumcise a, a boy on the Sabbath, why are you angry at me for healing someone's entire body on the Sabbath? Wasn't that awesome how he said that? He wasn't trying to say, you know, you stink, I can't stand you. He's saying, guys, think this through. These man-made laws are hindering and hurting people. So we're talking about this idea of holiness. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 23. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I love this. Paul talks a lot about being renewed in our mind. Amen? But look at verse 24. He says, and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in what? righteousness and what? 
holiness of the truth. Now, some translations just say in true holiness. Think about this. He's saying you've been clothed. You have this new self. Accept it. See the truth that it's been created in righteousness and in true holiness. Now, true holiness, we know that it comes from God. But here's the thing. It can be distinguished from counterfeit holiness, which is man-made. And so true holiness, just like righteousness here, it's not something we earn. It's a gift we receive. That's the first clue we should have, that this isn't something we do by works. It's something that's just given. How many know a true gift is given freely? If it's something that's given and you have to make payment or you have to work for it, it's called wages. It's called a reward, right? It's not a gift. And listen, everything that God has given and bestowed upon us is a free gift, right? And so through Christ, we have all received his righteousness and holiness. Now, I know someone, you're struggling with this in your mind. We've got to renew our mind. Because you know what you did last night, right? I know what you did last summer. <laughs> Some of you got that, you heathens who go to movies. But we so many times see ourselves through the lens of our actions without realizing that until we see ourselves as righteous and holy, our actions aren't going to line up. We can try as hard as we want. Come on, anyone try the willpower game? And how many have failed? It just doesn't work. You have to see yourself as you truly are. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in his first letter to the Corinthians, which, by the way, let, 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 me, let me clue you into something if, if you're not sure about this. Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians. Say two letters. This was a crazy bunch. I like what one uh, preacher says. He goes, it was like Vegas on steroids. There's points where they're like, you're doing stuff that even the heathens don't do. Lots of debauchery, lots of crazy stuff. But you know, never once does Paul call them sinners. He calls them saints over and over and over and over again. He's not basing their sainthood on their actions. He's basing their sainthood on what God has called them. We need to do that in our own lives. But look at this. He says, it is because of him that you are in Christ. Now, is salvation because of you? No. It's because of him that you're in Christ. Look at this. Who has become for us the wisdom from God. Now, this is so cool. Pastor, what is the wisdom from God? Because sometimes we get this wrong. Look at this. This is the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Isn't that awesome? God in his wisdom was like, you know what? I need to remind you of who you are. You're righteous, you're holy, and you're redeemed. But I don't feel like it. You're righteous, you're holy, and you're redeemed. I know, but what? No, you're righteous, you're holy, and you're redeemed. Until you believe that, your actions won't line up. Sometimes we think God's so concerned about the actions. Well, listen. When my kids do something dumb, you know, when they sow dumb, we say, they reap dumb. So I don't want them to sow dumb. I don't want them to sow the wrong actions because 
as a father, my heart is I don't want them to be hurt or suffer or you know, suffer the consequences of this. And that's why we do proper discipline as they're growing up so they can begin to see, oh, and we say this all the time, but I'll remind you, proper discipline is not punishment for your past. It's training you for your future. It's always seeing you how you, sh- how you are and trying to point you to that place to walk in who you truly are. Does that make sense? The wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Say this with me. I am righteous. I am holy. I am redeemed. Say it again. I am righteous. I am holy. I am redeemed. Even if you had to say that with your teeth clenched, like, I don't know yet, that's okay. Keep speaking. Say about yourself what God says about you, right? Confession. It's so important. I think about that story that I told a little bit earlier and the reaction of the religious leader in my story, that youth pastor. It really illustrates how man-made holiness, it's really defined by the line it draws. This is sacred, but that is secular. This is clean, but that is unclean. It's funny, we haven't changed much from a few thousand years ago, have we? We need to begin to have an understanding and see things with the eyes of God. See, man-made holiness, this is why it's so important to get it. Because man-made holiness, it separates us from our neighbors. And it causes us to hide inside our church buildings. We're the chosen ones. We've got it. Keep those unclean people out. See, man-made holiness says, you know, your secular job, is, it's really inferior to my full-time ministry. Right? Maybe it says you're not allowed to dance or go to parties or do worldly things. What did my dad used to say? You're not allowed to smoke or chew or hang out with girls that do. So my dad used to say. How about this one? We need to win the culture war by boycotting the latest movie or Disney or Walmart. I love what Jamie Engelhart says. He says, Unfortunately, Christians, the church in general, is known more for everything it hates than for its love. And listen, I'm not not against us recognizing things that aren't good for us and stepping away, but this whole boycotting thing sometimes gets so out of hand. We start to operate like a world culture where we just cancel anything that doesn't agree with us. What if we took time to empathize and understand where someone's coming from. It doesn't mean we always agree, but maybe we would come across with more kindness and love. Maybe that would draw them to a place of changing their mind. And let me just add this to, to this. This whole boycotting things, it's kind of ridiculous because you can pick one thing to really say, that's it. I mean, there's groups that do this, good intentions. We're going to boycott that show. We're going to make sure it's taken off. But how many of those people really take the time to go through every product they use in their home, everything they wear, everything they watch, follow the entire line up to the CEOs and owners to make sure that everyone's a Christian and doing it right? They don't. It it just doesn't make sense to me. Because if that's the case, we'd just be walking around naked and not eating half the food that's on the market. Really, we we would. Because, Because we're not thinking this through. We're not thinking through the eyes of God, seeing things through the eyes of God. See, man-made religion leaves you anxious. Why? Because you think, I might stray across that holiness divide into the realm of the unclean. 
And here's the problem. It causes you to distance yourself from the world. When Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he even prayed a prayer that we would be sanctified in it, that we would stay in it. Look at this. John 17, verse 15. Look at this prayer of Jesus. Just Now imagine, this is Jesus talking. How many followers of Jesus we got? Raise your hands online. Welcome YouTube and Facebook. Great to have you. Think about this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am not asking that you remove them from the world. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you know how many Christians are trying to get out of the world? My dad used to say they're, they're like standing at the raptured bus stop doing jump practices, trying to get out of here. Look what Jesus says. I am not asking that you remove them from the world. Look at this. But I ask that you guard their hearts from what? Evil. Now, understanding the Greek is really important in this. I've, I've heard some translations actually say, and it took a minute to find a translation that just said evil because some people put it as evil one. Some go as far as to say Satan you know, the, the master of evil, unclean spirits. I'm like, whoa, where are we going with this? Because that's not even what the word means. Guard their hearts from evil. This word evil in the Greek is the, robe, the word poneros, and it speaks of a system that's referenced in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, poneros, which is a system that's based on performance as the defining reference to human life. What Jesus is saying is, don't remove them from the world, but, but Heavenly Father, guard their hearts. We could even say their minds from this system that convinces them that they have to try to do better. Do you know the literal meaning of this word evil is full of labors, hardships, and annoyances? Guard them for a life where they're trying really hard, full of labors, hardships and annoyances to be something that they already are. Isn't that awesome? Sorry, I'm not used to handhelds. Isn't that awesome, though? Because Jesus came to reveal and redeem our authentic value, our true identity and innocence as that definer of our lives. He goes on in verse 16, for they no longer belong to this world. In, in other words, a system, get them out of that system, that way of thinking, any more than I do. Look at this, verse 17. Your word is truth. Say, your word is truth. So make them holy by the truth. This word holy is the word hagiazo. It speaks of a setting apart, but even more specifically, listen to this, it speaks of a defining moment. See, all of us have had this defining moment in our lives where we go, whoa. I'm not of this world system. I don't need to go anywhere. I need to actually shine the image of God, the kingdom of God, the true system, my true authentic identity. Right? He says, guard their minds from this, 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 this life of hardships and annoyances where we're trying and we're trying and trying to be something that we don't think they are. Listen, I say this all the time. Tom says this all the time. But but the sin or the fall in the garden was believing the lie that we weren't already like God. Adam and Eve were convinced of something that they already were. The serpent said, if you eat of the tree, you will be just like God. Come on, we know now. I mean, come on, hindsight's always 20-20. It's easy to read the story and go, come on, Adam. Come on, Eve. 
Their answer should have been, we already are. Boom, done. The word is true, so make them holy by the truth. Make them whole. The whole idea of salvation, right? That word salvation, soteria, it's a place of wholeness, deliverance, preservation, safety. This is what we're working out in life. And Jesus is saying, make them holy. Make them have a defining moment in time where they see the truth of their wholeness. Isn't that powerful? He says, I have commissioned them to represent me just as you commissioned me to represent you. You see, the pursuit of man-made holiness has unfortunately split the church into this us and them mentality. Instead of influencing those around us, we're just hiding in our church walls. We're thinking that, oh, that's the outside. It's unclean. Stay away. If only we had a better definition of holiness. How about this? Jesus is our holiness from God. This is who you already are in Christ. You're whole. You're complete. Dare I say you're perfect. You're pleasing. You're acceptable. I know it's hard. I know. I get it. As I begin to get this revelation, I'm like, man, I can't say that stuff about myself. It's not true. Well, it may not be truly manifest in your life at this point, but it doesn't mean it's not what's true about you. We have to believe God's story about us, not our story or someone else's story, right? And so when Jesus, the Holy One of God, think about this, when he visited sinners, he didn't become unholy or unhealthy. I mean, when he would touch the lame or the leper or the, the woman with the issue of blood, they became whole. It's like Jesus rubbed off on them. And, and guess what? We're made in his image and likeness, and we get so scared that they're going to rub off on me. Listen, if you know who you truly are, no one can change your mind about that. So if you're someone who feels like, you know, your ministry is to just go hang out in a club or bar and Holy Spirit guides you to people. Now, listen, if you struggle with alcohol and you have all your life and you're with A, well, maybe don't go to the bar. I mean, use some wisdom, right? But for some people, that's their ministry. Uh, there's churches that literally rent a bar out by day to have church. I think that's awesome. If nothing else, they're bringing some good spirits in there. Amen. So Jesus never became unholy or unhealthy. In fact, rather than being tainted by their sin, he contaminated, if you will, them with the love of a holy and wholesome God. These were defining moments for these people. When was your defining moment? The Holy One healed the broken and made them whole. I said this earlier that I believe that holiness, yes, it is being set apart. I love this definition here that it's set apart for a specific divine revelation and understanding. But here's the thing, that's only half the definition. If we don't get the whole definition, we don't get it right. Because true holiness is wholeness. Say that with me. True holiness is wholeness. See, the real question is this. How did we get away from the full definition of holiness? I was talking to my buddy Don this morning about this. And, you know, 
unfortunately, people with good intentions throughout church history have brought these different ideas into the church, and we just latched on to them, and we've believed them as true, even though they go contrary to who God calls us. And so it's important that we see God through the lens of Jesus. We see Scripture through the lens of Jesus. But how did we get so far away from this definition of holiness? If you have access to... Uh, the Oxford, Oxford English Dictionary, uh, not the, the concise one, but the full version, and you look up the etymology of the word holy, you'll find this. It comes from the Old English. The word is hail, H-A-L, and it means this, free from injury, whole, and the third word is hail, H-A-L-E, which means hearty and healthy. Wow. Think about that. It's getting colder, so my, my wife makes some hearty and healthy soups, and I love that. But think about that. You're a hearty and healthy soup to this world. Come on. Also, if you look at Webster's word histories, which goes all the way back to the origin of this word, it's saying the same thing. I mean, you can check out any standard dictionary for the meaning of the old English word halig, and it was clearly tied to this concept of being whole or healthy, and really, this is the stance of any serious entomology. The full definition allows us to see that being holy, listen to me, it isn't just about avoiding things. It's about being who you truly were created to be. When you are living out who you were truly created to be, you're becoming more whole, more holy. And let me say, that does look set apart from what you used to act like. I don't want to say be, because who you be is who God's called you to be. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're acting out of false identity. And that's why we see things. I was talking to someone the other day about that, and they were like, why, why is it that people can just do crazy stuff? I mean, just we've seen the news. Come on. I mean, the things that have happened all through history, it's because people don't know who they are. They've lost their identity in God. They, they, they don't know. There's no purpose. There's no reality of this connection with God. But you know what's wild is I've actually seen people who, in the midst of doing those things, maybe being charged, being convicted, going to prison, it's unfortunate, but behind prison walls become alive to the identity that God has called them all their life. And I say unfortunate because now they're confined behind those walls. But you know what? They have a ministry there, too. There's a lot of people, whether in a prison, in a church, at your job, in a school, in society, who don't know who they are. They haven't come to this place of accepting that by faith, stepping into it, and they're beginning to see this journey of their life becoming more and more holy or whole. Listen, we don't stop addiction. We don't stop sin by trying harder or trying really hard to avoid it, listen to me. We see our thoughts, our words, and our actions change when we see our true wholeness in Christ, our true selves as God has made us. This is what I found even in my own personal life. Whatever battle I've had with sin or an issue in my life, maybe trying to forgive someone and thinking, I just can't forgive them. I was talking to a person the other day about this. I said, listen, forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. 
And they were really struggling with this. They're like, I, I get it, but you don't know what this person did to me. Well, I did because they told me. But what they did, I just, I can't get past it. I, I don't know how to get past it. And I told them, I said, listen, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a decision on your end to say, I release this. I let this go. Because I'm telling you right now, have you ever ran into someone who has held on to bitter, unforgiveness and it's become bitterness? And it just like, it just permeates every area of their life. Every time they speak, it's just like, like they're vomiting. And you're like, my God, what has happened? They've let unforgiveness take root as bitterness. But see, reconciliation is two-way. Reconciliation is that person who's offended you saying, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you extend forgiveness. But how many know that there's some people in our lives, maybe they've offended us, but they're not even here anymore. There's no chance for reconciliation. Maybe that person doesn't even see that they did wrong. Maybe they live 2,000 miles away. You still can make the decision to forgive. I say that because this is who we're created to be. The more that we understand our holiness and wholeness in God, the more that we begin to walk out forgiveness and love. Come on. That's why I never speak or point to the sin in others. I believe that my job as a pastor, as a believer, is to point to and speak to the son or daughter in you. Because when you awaken to that, your actions will change. True change never comes by being told all the things you aren't. True change comes by being told the truth of who you truly are. And so for far too long, even as a well-intentioned preacher, you know, we build messages about and around everything you aren't, everything you don't measure up to. I want to make sure you know. You got to know the bad news before you can accept the good news. Come on. I mean, I've said dumb things like that. But I found in my own life, people telling me all the things that I'm not and don't measure up to, it never brought lasting change in my life. Heart change comes when I begin to see the truth of who I really am. It's powerful. And so that's the path that I choose as a preacher and a teacher, to speak to the son and daughter in you. I'll say it again, true holiness is wholeness, which we come full circle to 1 Peter 1.16. It brings this verse into a completely different light. Be holy, for I am holy. Think of it like this. Close your eyes. Be whole, for I am whole. Be who you're created to be. You know, Scripture also tells us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And this isn't speaking of never messing up and a life without fault. That word literally means be mature. Continue to grow into the knowledge and truth, not of just Jesus Christ, but who you are in Christ. This is what brings lasting change. Look at me. I say this quite a bit. But when I read scriptures like this, through this lens... It's no longer a threat. It's a promise. We can go to Scripture and we can read it as a threat or we can read it as a promise. Amen? Will you stand with me? Will you holy people stand with me this morning? Royal priesthood, holy nation.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are constantly reminding us of our righteousness. I love the story where Jesus is about to be commissioned, actually about to experience the temptation in the wilderness. And he comes to the Jordan River, and there's John the Baptist. And he's being initiated into ministry. And this is what's so cool about Jesus, is he always did things according to what we knew in Scripture. You know, in Scripture, to be uh, have a mantle put on your life, you had to have two witnesses or more. And so in this moment, we have John the Baptist who is a witness of this, and you're like, well, who is the second? Well, it says that when Jesus came up out of the water, it says that the heavens opened and the voice from heaven, his father was the second confirmation. But here's Jesus, never spoke one word, never preached one awesome Holy Ghost message, never healed one person, wasn't in ministry yet, and the words from the heavenly father were, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So years ago, this just spoke to me. One day I was reading that, I probably have heard and read that a million times, it feels like, and suddenly it dawned on me, wait a minute, Jesus hasn't done anything yet, and yet you're pleased in him. It doesn't say pleased with, because you did, it's pleased in. I'm pleased in who you are, son. And I broke at that moment because I realized that's how you see me. I'm trying to perform. I'm trying to look at me. I can juggle four at a time, you know, trying to run through. I'm on the hamster wheel. I'm trying to do stuff, trying to do it right. You know, I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm working. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. Nothing wrong with those things. But I thought that the more that I did, the more God would notice me, love me, and be pleased with me. And here's Jesus. Hasn't done one work, one miracle. And God's pleased in him. That was a defining moment for me where I began to see my worth. Anyone else? Just close your eyes with me. And I want you to hear Heavenly Father's voice saying to you, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. God is pleased with you. God accepts you. God loves you. His grace is sufficient. There's nothing you can do to be taken from the hand of Heavenly Father. You need to see that in your life. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that again, you're reminding of this truth of who we are and whose we are. I pray that today and through this week, if we ever have a moment where we mess up, where we fall, we misstep in life, that we wouldn't let those actions or those words define us. We would let you and your story about us define us. That you're not disappointed in us. You're not happy with sin. You're not happy with, with missteps or, or things that we do because they can hurt us, but you're always pleased with us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I'll leave you with one last thing that just came to mind. 
one day I was thinking about this idea of disappointing God. How many know the definition of being disappointed is being let down because someone doesn't meet your expectations? And one day it was like Holy Spirit said to me, listen, I know your whole life from beginning to end. How can you disappoint me when I already know how it goes? What? So you're not disappointed? Oh, I'm not disappointed in you, son. No. No, when you do those things, when you missed up, when you make a bad choice and it hurts you, that hurts me. I don't want that to hurt you, but I never hate you. I never turn my back on you. I never separate from you because I see the real you. And I'm not disappointed because you can't do anything that I already don't know, that I already know that you're going to do anyway. And through that process, I'm always having Holy Spirit remind you of who you truly are because it's in those moments, those defining moments, that we then make different choices according to who we are. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Seal this in our hearts in Jesus' name. Receive that this morning. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.